Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. So, uh, here's a really simple question. Super simple. Cleopatra. Cleopatra. Was she uh was she good or bad? Super simple. No, you don't have to raise your hand. Um Cleopatra, was she good or bad? Just make a mental note of of your perception of her and we're going to come back to that. Cuz I'm super stoked for tonight's show. It's going to be a bit of a an opportunity to really mangle things up, and I always like that. The topic tonight is time travel, the science and science fiction, which is the name of our guest book. Nick Redfern is the author of the book, and he's our guest tonight. Time travel, the science and science fiction. So let's start the mangling. Um, Time travel. What if we were the recipients of a time traveler? So you're sitting there, I'm sitting here, and uh, tomorrow on TV or whatever, on the internet, we see somebody's come back. And fomp, here they are. Fomp, they've time, fomp, and they've arrived. And so in this time travel scenario, we're the recipients of the time traveler. So who the hell is it? Is it Leonardo da Vinci? Is it Nikola Tesla? Einstein? Marcus Aurelius? Jesus? One of the emperors of Rome? Would it matter? What I'm getting at is um, what I really like about tonight's show is we're we're looking at um, something that perhaps we could have spent many decades of our life never thinking of time as anything but a static thing, this rigid, lockstep, static experience of life. And then nobody has to tell anyone that humanity's going through these karmic rototiller over the past few years and so much more information is being passed around on uh, radio shows like this one what what does it matter who's time traveling well what about uh, maybe we need like a measuring stick uh, a good or bad measuring stick because Let's think of the idea of being being powerful. So there's like in Star Wars, there's Yoda, and he closes his eyes, and it gets this constipated look, and he sticks his hands out, and huge parts of the building start flying around the room. That's pretty powerful. And then there's uh, Nikola Tesla, and uh, he's he's like, well, free electricity all over the world. That I'm no sproctologist, but that's a pretty powerful concept. There's um, uh, Cleopatra, who sculpted the fate of a nation. Or maybe the, the so how about the heroes of our mythology? Who's the top rung heroes of our mythology? I'm not going to put a face to that, but imagine your own. Who would you put in the top two or three of the all-time mightiest uh, personas in our in our human narrative? Uh, the reason I ask, the the reason I'm taking this approach tonight is I'm I'm thoroughly thrilled we're diving into the notion of time travel, but what if you time travel? What if you time travel back 300 years and plan electricity or, you know, I mean, <laughs> go back to caveman days and and in slow motion roll a rock down the hill and introduce the, the notion of a wheel 100 million years before it actually happened. <laughs> 
and then and then come forward in time and see what the difference is. How static are we? I mean, I guess the most common metaphor is if you go back and meet your parents and prevent them from ever being intimate, you don't exist. So how could you ever go back and meet your parents? Anywho, I don't want to go that far down the rabbit hole without some help. So I think we should get right to this episode. Keep that Cleopatra in your mind. And if I don't forget, we're going to talk about her on the other end of the episode. So again, let's get to it. Let's get to it. The topic tonight is the name of our guest, Nick Redfern's latest book, Time Travel, the Science and Science Fiction. Who doesn't yearn to travel through time, to revisit the past or see the future? We live much of our lives thinking of other times. But what would you do if time travel were real? What does the science say? What does history tell us? And what do movies, writers, folklore, and others imagine for us? A master storyteller and a noted expert in the unexplained and paranormal, our guest tonight, Nick, presents dozens of intriguing accounts and fascinating stories on the history, the science, and the mystery of time travel. From the physics of time warps to aliens in the matrix, time travel, the science and science fiction, works to uncover what happens when time doesn't march in only one direction. I love that. Please join me in welcoming Nick to the show. Nick, welcome to the show. Hey, Les. How's it going? It's going well. I think we're going to time travel right now for about an hour. So you've written a book, Time Travel. What uh, what motivated you to write this book? Well, um, time travel has always been um, an interest and a fascination of mine. And um, even, to, I guess, right back to when I was a kid. And, uh, you know, reading novels like Planet of the Apes and The Time Machine and things like that. And as I got older, you know, and I became a, a writer, an author... Um, I I always thought about doing a book on time travel, and um, eventually that sort of came to fruition. Um, not too long ago, the book hasn't been a, um, out at long at all. Um, but what I didn't want to do was just sort of go over all the old stories that everybody's heard. Um, what I wanted to do was to look at just about every aspect of time travel that we could look at and determine, you know, is time travel a reality? Can you only go forward or can you only go back? Or if you go one way or the other, would you be able to get back? Things like that. And um, and what would happen if you killed one of your family by mistake? And um, would it um, totally alter your reality if you change the, the past or the future? So there are a lot of concepts and ideas and some of the mind-boggling <laughs> um, situations where you would have to be very, very careful when you're dealing with time travel in the real world. And of course, um, the book is titled Time Travel, the Science and Science Fiction, because uh, I also felt it was important to demonstrate that the, the reality of time travel is very different to say for example um, Back to the Future or The Time Machine H.G. Wells's novel classic novel um, but you know time um, time, uh, time travel in the world of science fiction um, I mean that's sort of very entertaining you know like Back to the Future and things like that you know <laughs> when you're time tri- when your time machine's actually a DeLorean you know <laughs> that's pretty cool right <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> and um and you know in the world of science fiction time travel is it's one of those things that's always going to fascinate people and i think one of the the primary reasons why people are so um keen to watch 
uh, movies and TV shows about time travel is because, and, and this actually does kind of uh, stand out in relation to like Back to the Future, the, this concept that um, if only I could do something else, if only I could go back, you know, to when I was a kid and... And I went, I didn't go back, and I wish I had that kind of thing. And, of course, right. in the real world, as we see it, we're not able to do that. But, you know, if you could go back, say, 30, 40 years ago, and and go back and see that girl you was going to take her out, and then you you decided not to, and damn, you know. <laughs> right. But if, if you could get in your machine and just hit the buttons to 1970 or something like that, you know, you could take everything back to how it really, you really wanted it to be. Um, and, of course, you have to be careful to look at the, the way in which fact and fiction kind of blends together, you know. But, um, but, but in the book, I didn't just want to talk about, you know, um, how... How can we build a time tra um, time machine? Well, if we knew the answer to that, we'd already have them, you know. <laughs> Unless right. the CIA con confiscated them. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> but, right. um, however, I mean, there are a lot of concepts when you look at time travel. For example, within the UFO research community, there's actually quite a significant number of people who believe that the UFO phenomenon is not extraterrestrial, but may actually be um, time travelers from the future coming back to the future, or our future, or our present, if you like. Um, and that's an intriguing scenario that, you know, these these big-headed, black-eyed aliens that every knows, everybody knows that imagery of the classic alien. Um, what if actually they would be us from the future, maybe hundreds of thousands of years, years in the future, come back to the past to possibly even sort of like um, historians, something like that, coming carefully back to the Earth to see what the Earth is like in 2022 or 1955 or 1880, um, but hide under the guise of extraterrestrials. That would be an interesting scenario, you know, that, uh, that our aliens are actually us from the future. And in fact, uh, one man, Philip Corso, um, who was a high-ranking um, officer in the um, U.S. Air Force in the 1940s, he wrote a book called The Day After Roswell, and he claimed that the Roswell crash, the famous Roswell UFO crash in 1947, he claimed that that is exactly what happened, that the, the bodies and the craft that came down at Roswell, he said they were time travelers and not extraterrestrials. So, um, so that's a fascinating scenario, you know, that our, our UFOs might be... Um, and our, our time travelers um, could be one and the same thing, but we just don't realize it. Well, in your book, you talk about the the Philadelphia experiment, mm. and if our listeners um, haven't heard of that before, can you just share share the uh, the context yeah. of of what that is? Because the reason I bring that up is. Um, it it's happened in the recent past here and it and it shows the uh the pliability of time so go ahead please well yeah i mean for people um a lot of people who aren't really sort of conversant with time travel a lot of people have heard of the philadelphia experiment and um now the story goes back to 1943 at the um, the the Philadelphia uh, Naval Yard, and the story is that involved with um, Albert Einstein and various other high-ranking scientists, um, physicists, in 1943 were running experiments to try and turn um, American warships 
to fight the Germans, but to do it by making the ships um, invisible to radar and to and, uh, and and magnetism as well. So, in other words, we the the Germans would not be able to pick up on our radar on their radar screens our ships coming towards them, and so we would have the you know the advance. But um, supposedly the experiments went wrong, and the the ship itself that that, that they were using with the um, experiments was the USS Eldridge. And the story is that was that at one moment there was sort of like a green, cloudy haze, and the Eldridge literally vanished, and um, and then sort of a 45 minutes later, afterwards the ship came back and it started to shimmer, um, but it caused terrible um, effects on the the guys who were on the ship, the sailors, and. Um, some of them were killed. Um, some of them, um, sort of like every four or five seconds, um, they would become invisible, and you, you know, you wouldn't see them. And then they'd flicker back on again, which caused them to basically go insane, uh, which is not surprising. However, um, some of the sailors who were on the Eldridge um, in 1943 claimed they went through a doorway into the 1980s and um and they were then shortly afterwards brought back to the 1940s and you can actually um see a very good entertaining movie movie on all this called the philadelphia experiment it was released in 1984 and it's a really interesting cool uh, movie of how possibly back in the 40s when we were doing these, um, these sort of new um, high-tech physics um, and finding ways to try and to um, find invisibility, but the invisibility um, operations went completely wrong and supposedly thrusted the the guys through the um, sort of almost like a wormhole or a black hole and briefly, at least, um, into the, the modern era. Um, but supposedly the, ex, the um, experiments were shut down for one primary reason, and that reason was that the, the scientists, the physicists, all of them, nobody really understood what they had done and how they did it. And it was... And they basically decided to shut everything down and keep it away. Kind of like, if you remember the, the final stages of Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, Indiana Jones, you know, when they've got the, um, the Ark of the Covenant, but they don't know what to do with it. They're frightened about its powers. So they just hide it away in this, you know, in this um, huge building. And that's supposedly right. what happened. That's supposedly what happened with the Philadelphia experiment was that they didn't know what to do. The government was worried about opening these rifts between time. And so they basically said, let's just shut it down until the day comes along when we can find a way to understand it. But until then, we're not going to do anything. And, and supposedly, at least part of the experiment was shut down and is shut down still even now. But um, but if you do a Google on Phil, uh, Philadelphia Experiments 1943, you'll see there's a lot of really good books um, and movies um, and things like that. And you can find a lot of material. And there's no doubt in my mind that something really weird happened and particularly happened to the men on the ship with the, all this flickering and vanishing and then coming back again. And, uh, and having these images of the future, which would must be easy to see how you you know your mind would just sort of would would just be exploded, you know. Um, but that's uh, the time. But the uh, the Philadelphia experiment is one of the um, the key um, issues, if you like, when it comes to time travel, um, whether in fiction or in reality. Well, you know, the, the notion of 
uh, a clunk. I, I mean, basically, it's a very clunky, uh, unrefined experiment test, and yes. it and it yeah. and it showed the principle, but then they shelved it. So imagine going back to uh, you know a thousand years, and you have a Polaroid Instamatic camera where you take a picture and it would it hand you the picture immediately and over a minute or two it develop right. So if you took that back a, a few hundred years and took a picture of somebody, it'd be black magic. It'd be like, uh, I mean, how how do they even wrap their noggin around something like that? So if we fast forward a hundred years, five hundred years, a thousand years, five hundred thousand years, that technology that the Philadelphia experiment, experiment demonstrated could have been refined and and the finesse of it mastered so they could dial in a particular time to go to, wouldn't you think? Well, yeah, I mean, but, but, but that thing sort of like plugging it in and things like that, I mean, one of the big problems, um, theoretically at least, um, a lot of people who claim to have um, who've gone through time, have said that the one key thing that really terrified them was the fact that, unlike the movies and the TV shows, they had no control over the time um, uh, lines, right. if you like. Um, and that's one of the important aspects of this. You know, it's not like the movies where... You know, you sit in the car and you press 1955, you know, and you go and visit <laughs> your mom and dad, you know. Right. <laughs> it's not really like that. Um, most people have said they've been walking down a street or through the woods and suddenly everything goes quiet and everything looks totally different. You know, they go back to the town where they live, but they can't find, or at least they don't think they've found the place where they should be. Um and they're seeing their town looking, say, 120 years ago than it should have been. And that the people they were seeing or wearing different clothing, you know, sort of very old clothing. And then suddenly it hits them. I'm in a different time, that kind of situation. Now, all the people who have made claims to that kind of scenario... 99% of them have said that um, they had no control over this at all. It was just, you know, as if it just hit them. Um, and that's one of the dangerous things that, you know, there are very few people who've said they've had the ability, the controlled ability to um, activate and, and use time travel. Mainly, it really is, you know, like seeing a ghost or a Bigfoot, you know, you, you weren't planning right. for it and you don't know what to do. It's kind of lo along that sort of scenario. And, and that's why it's in important to note that in, although there's a lot of talk of, you know, time machines in the world of science fiction, in science fact, we don't really seem to know how to fully access um, time travel. You know, um, we just we just don't know how. And of course, if you put yourself in a system um, where you go back in time and you start changing things in the past, you could then potentially alter the present and the future. You know, let's say hypothetically, you go back to the 1800s and you're running around in the past, looking at all these old buildings and having a cool, exciting experience but what if doing that you're running around and you bang into someone knock them on the ground and what happens they die and what if that person was your great grand great um grandfather well right. maybe your what if your great grandfather then wasn't born because you um basically killed them in an accident and then would that Call, cause you to die because or not ever have been born in the first place you know there right. are so many real really sort of strange concepts along those lines uh, that we have to be very careful of if we do one day sort of 
take a walk, you know, down the time tunnel, so to speak. Well, what I really like about your book is the diversity in which you approach this. I mean, one of the chapters is called Doppelgangers and Multiple Timelines. Tell us about that. Mm. Well, uh, doppelgangers, excuse me, doppelgangers, um, basically um, the theory is that everyone on the planet has their own mirror image person. Now, you know, I mean, you consider how many people are living on the planet. You know, it's like, I think, between 8 and 9 billion people right now. So some people, you know, are going to look similar to each other. You know, I mean, there's no no other way about it. Um, but it's not as simple as that. For example, there are some people who've said they've seen what looks not just like a doppelganger, not just someone who looks like you and you can have a joke with the person, you know, you look a bit like me, you know, that kind of thing, or I look like you. Um, However, um, when it comes to doppelgangers, um, there have been theories that um, time travelers might, in the future, may have the ability to come back to our world in our presence and let's say, for example, they want to wander around in, in the U.S., um, your local town. Well, what's the best way to do it? Well, if they were able to sort of um, alter, if you like, the, um, the appearance of these time travelers, they could get through your local town thinking, oh, yeah, there's Jim over the road, you know. Right. <laughs> when actually Jim, that isn't Jim at all, but it is somebody from the future who's been molded into the form of Jim, if you like. Um, but there's also a sinister side to this where you've got um, these doppelgangers um, and the theory of them um, sort of being sort of um, a time traveller using your appearance um you know it's it's a a very strange and and sinister situation you know that somebody is mimicking is you you know and they're doing it within your guise um and it gives them you know an easy way to walk around their town their city um by because it's all planned ahead so um you know a lot of strange things like that and um and we find a lot of stories where you have people um, walking around town um, where they could be time travellers, and we don't know about it. Uh, one perfect example would be the Men in Black. Now, when you mention the Men in Black, everybody thinks of Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, you know, the movies. Um, right. And in the movies, you know, the Men in Black... Um, they sort of, um, you know, secret agents that are on the way out to um, to kill dangerous aliens. Um, but one of the intriguing, a very intriguing theory, is that the Men in Black might be um, well, people from the from the future, but they come back to sort of the 20th century or the 19th or our century. And and what's interesting about the men in black is that almost on every occasion they wear these old-style clothing, sort of like black suits, uh, white shirts, skinny black tie, um, and old-style fedora hats. And, And even in their clothing, in other words, they look sort of out of time. And um, the theory is they're time travellers, and by wearing the fedoras, the black suits, the skinny black ties, um, they don't look too um, out of place. Um, And you could walk through the 21st century um, where you probably would be watched, you know, people would say, he looks a bit old-fashioned, you know. (laughs) Um, But... um, one of the theories is that the time, the um, the men in black, time travellers, could be um, sort of um, people coming back from the future to the past. Um, you know, sort of look, historians, that kind of thing. 
and the best way for them to um, to sort of blend into our era is to make sure they've got these suits that um, you know you you could if you think about it you could walk throughout an American city um, in the 1900s the 20th century the 21st century wearing a suit you know and a shirt and tie right. you know that's not going to make people look um, you know sort of make their heads turn out of place so in, right. yeah, so in other words the idea is that the men in black um, are time travelers and um, and if they are sort of historians and they pop up, you know, at crucial times, say when JFK, for example, was assassinated, there were reports of men in black um, just around the corner from the um, from where um, JFK was killed um, at Dealey Plaza, and there were these sort of creepy men in black standing there. You know, and the, the one theory is that um, they were standing there just waiting because they knew they, what was coming. Um, and so, um, you know, they were there to see who really did kill JFK. Wow. Well, you know, um, th- th- that's the thing about when you talk about time travel it really mangles our static idea of, quote, reality, unquote, in so many ways. Um, one of the approaches you take in the book is wormholes, and Einstein talking about wormholes and how that can skew the progression of time. Wasn't there a movie like Interstellar that would that was telling us, like, nine hours on this foreign planet was like a decade here on Earth? Well, yeah, I mean, wormholes. I mean, basically, um, the best way to describe a wormhole is kind of like, you know, if you stand in front of your bathroom sink, you know, you turn on the the faucet and the water goes down the the hole. Imagine the wormhole like that. Um, But what the... A lot, now, a lot of this is theoretical when it comes to wormholes, but the, the theories are that if you were able to travel through a wormhole what it would do it would distort time so in other words you potentially could be traveling for let's say um, six months on a on a spacecraft however but while you're while you're going through the the wormhole however when you come out the other end of the wormhole instead of just going through for what 45 days, six months, or whatever, um, when you come out, you may have found that you, when you come out, the, the time frame is like 500 years. Everybody you know is gone. You know, you go back to Earth, and the planet looks completely different, the technology is different, the clothing's different. And now, you wouldn't, you wouldn't in, in literal terms, have gone through time what you've done you've been able to distort the speed of time and um, it, it's not like you know like like going back to the DeLorean again you know pressing the dates um, to go here to go there it's not quite like that but it, it is um, it is a form of um, time travel it just means that you've altered time rather than you actually gone to one specific place. Right. Well, that's that's part of the curious the curious part of time travel is I, I mean so from the 1900 uh what, what was it 1903 that the Wright brothers first left the ground in an aeroplane. And then in 1969, we walked on the moon, as it is said, and and that's such a small span of time, and 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 with eight to eight billion people on the planet, how many of them are scientists? We have more scientists on the planet now than ever before, and every one of those science scientists have access to the internet, which has the history of science from 
this this exponentially expanding numerical sea of scientists. So our future is going to accelerate accordingly because there's so many scientists researching so many obscure parts of quote reality unquote that when we when we first hear about some of this time travel stuff our linear brains snap and we say oh that can't be oh that can't be because we have no context to reference it in so that's excuse me that's what i really like about your book is that you approach it from so many different angles and fast forward in time the more we learn about time, the more some of this would would make uh, more sense. But we um, to see it coming, I I think is is how we can open our minds up to be receptive of this kind of stuff. What kind of reception? I know the book is is pretty new, but when when you bring up the topic of time travel, what kind of responses do you get? Oh, well, that's a good question. I know I don't usually get that question, but <laughs> but um but yeah, I mean what what I would say is that um you know, luckily um the books had a very good reception and um you know, if you go and, and look at the uh, Amazon comments and things like that. And uh, and I think probably it is because I didn't just sort of go over the old, you know, sort of worn out stories that you can find here, there, and everywhere. I wanted to demonstrate that um, time travel isn't just about jumping in a machine and having a bit of fun and then coming back home again. You know, after <laughs> fifty years, um, that would be that would be cool. You know, that would be fun. But there is a uh, deal to it as well. I mean, one of the things I talk about in the book, uh, which some people may have heard of, some may not. Um, what have become known as the shadow people um, now the shadow people phenomenon has been around a couple of decades and they're called the shadow people because people sort of wake up in the dead of night and they see these sort of silhouette like um, shadows of people sort of looming over the bed and very often the person isn't able to move it's sort of like in um, in sort of like a a case of paralysis and um, a very traumatic situation for for these people. And um, I've got a couple of friends who think that the um, the shadow people could be time travellers and um, coming back at various times, uh, almost if like you know if you're on an expedition that kind of thing. But for the for us in the 21st century, you know, it scares us to death. <laughs> when you you wake up at three in the morning and you've got this shadowy silhouette type character looming over the bed you know um now that's one that scenario um friend of mine um started to look into this scenario uh, about two years ago and um and and he wondered sort of pondered on that scenario that you know all of these sort of these strange um characters that pop up like the man in black at, at um, the jfk assassination the um the shadow people you know um it makes you think well you know could there be time travelers sort of hunting and walking around all among us you know and they're blending in with our clothing for the most part not all of them but apart from the men in black but it makes you wonder you know how many people on the planet are time travelers uh, with a specific agenda maybe that agenda is to try and sort of mold the future so terrible things don't happen you know maybe their entire role is to prevent disasters that may have happened in the future in in one reality but they're going to try and stop it from happening in a in a double reality if you like and that's one of the other aspects of all this the idea of multiple um different multiple worlds uh, multiple well, versions of us you know that kind of situation 
Well, I like that. It, you know, imagine uh, your soul, because your soul goes through so many incarnations, and it goes into the future and sees that it's got a train wreck on its hands, and your soul leaps back in time and incarnates for time travel into personas like you and me, we could be the future version of our souls incarnate into flesh and bones to, uh, like you say, bring a corrective factor, a corrective hand to the rudder of humanity. Uh, That's really curious. I I love mangling stuff up to get a, a deeper understanding of it. Now, in one of your chapters, it's, is called the world's most famous time traveler. Tell us about that. Okay, yeah. Well, this is an interesting story. Um, this is a guy uh, named John Teter, T-I-T-O-R. And John Teter, if you Google him, uh, J-O-H-N-T-I-T-O-R, you'll see and just Google also time travel. Um, he was a guy who nobody actually ever met him or maybe one or two could have done. Um, but he was someone who uh, we're talking about sort of not so much really early Internet, but around about 2000, um, this man, John Tedder, um started to appear on the Internet claiming to be a time traveler from our future and roughly from the the 2030s so we're talking about sort of um, 17 18 20 years from now and he made a lot of claims about time travel um, because he claimed he was a time traveler and um, from the future and he said um, that in the years ahead there was going to be terrible disasters, there was going to be um, a civil war in the United States, um, sort of localized nuclear wars uh, rather than world wars, that kind of thing. Um, and he said that the people of the, the future, so the 2030s, the 2040s, really don't like us from this era they were perceived as like as horrible um just me me type people and um and he said that nobody in the future likes us that was one of the one of his sort of famous things he said that nobody in the future likes us from the 21st century and um and the the store well i won't say stories but the the data that he put out on the internet was really uh, well written. This wasn't like, you know, some kid in the basin, you know, um, you know, just sort of making up stories. This was done extremely well and, and thought out. And, um, and there are three sort of prevailing theories. One is that it's just a hoax. Um, another one is it's true. And the third one is a scenario to sort of um, to make people think, you know, um, to try and prevent um, the future being destroyed by putting out all this data, hoping that we would sort of come back from the edge, so to speak. Um, And other people think, you know, could it have been some sort of like a psychological um, experiment to see what people think about, you know, um, this scenario of um, time travel. So we don't really know, even after 20 years, you know, we don't have a full answer as to who he really was, what his agenda was. Um, but like most time travelers, at one point they're here and then the next point they're gone. And, um, so, so, yeah, John Teter, T-I-T-O-R, and there's been a number of books written about him, and, and all of them are fascinating, and that's the same with his data as well. And, um, you know, it's hard to really say, you know, when somebody claims to be a, a time traveler, you know, it's difficult to get proof because one minute, like I said, they're gone, one minute they're here. Um, but yeah, that that's back in 2000. John Tater was like, 
sort of like a rock and roll guy, you know, um, <laughs> for the for the paranormal world, that kind of thing. Wow, curious. Well, um, so what surprised you about time? So you've written a book about time, and you're bringing many, many perspectives about the nature of time. Mm. Preparing, oh, well, that's, that's, all these, preparing all these stories, what surprised you about um, t- the, the variable time itself? Well, there is actually one thing that really did surprise me, and that was this issue all around the world where people had have had these experiences in time, um, but they had no, no idea it was going to happen, and they had no understanding of how it happened. You know, like in the movies, you know, people travel through time because they've got these high-tech time machines. But there are a lot of people just walking down the street you know or sitting in the car and they're looking through the you know the the windshield and suddenly the buildings you know the skyscrapers in front of them are gone you know and there could be like a flattened city you know some terrible disaster uh, but there's there's actually a lot of cases like that which are very sim- very different i should say to um science fiction the, the science fact is that um, time travel appears to happen at, at random. All, I would say about 85%, 90% of the, all the cases I've got on record on, and that I've investigated, I would say 80 to 90% um, of the experiences were at random. No, none of them had time machines, uh, no high-tech things, nothing like that at all. No flying through the sky or anything like that. No black holes, no wormholes. It was just like, I'm just going to go down to the store down the road and get the newspaper, you know, that kind of thing. And then, right. you know, everything changes. And, and, I, that's, and that is one of the things that surprised me, how time travel apparently occurs just at random and and it it rarely happens um you know by actually going down the path and saying this is where we're going to go you know that's more for that really is more for the uh the sci-fi angle of it all well very nice well time can fly by pretty fast um take this time now and convey to our audience now you've written a bunch of books, and uh, tell tell the audience how they can get the time travel book and about your other books and your website. All right, thanks. Um, well, I have a blog um, called World of Whatever. So if you Google Nick Redfern and World of Whatever, and um, that'll take you to my blog, which I uh, usually. Um, add it um, every day or every couple of days when there's uh, something new coming along. And um, I also have um, an Amazon page where people uh, just look, uh, just Google Nick Redfern and you'll be able to um, see my um, Amazon page. And um, I've written about, um, I'm trying to think. <laughs> yeah, you know you've done a lot when uh, when the author can't remember the actual number. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but no, it's about um, it's round about sixty five seventy. Um, but but that's over about um, twenty five years. So I do I do about three books a year, something like that. And um, and I've done I've got a lot of interests. One of my big interests is cryptozoology, which is the study of unknown animals like Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, Mothman, uh, the Yeti, the Abominable Snowman, things like that, and also the UFO subject. Um, I've got a a big interest in the Men in Black mystery. I've written three or four books on the Men in Black mystery, and um, and also ancient alien-type uh, scenarios, you know, were we visited in the distant past, that kind of thing, and um, and some conspiracy stuff. I'm not really into political conspiracy, um, but.
but uh, I did a book um, earlier this year um, about Marilyn Monroe's death, and that was one uh, I wanted to uh, to do, and um, and so you know I I, I try to sort of um, sort of cross over here and there. Uh, because I think it's good to sort of, you know, jump from one subject to another and another rather than just, you know, focusing just one, which I couldn't do anyway after 72. <laughs> you know? Right. Well, I, Nick, I want to thank you for being our guest tonight. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Oh, thanks, Les. We've been talking with Nick Redfern, and the topic tonight has been time travel the Science and Science Fiction, the name of his latest book. You know, I, I like things that mangle our view of, quote, reality, unquote. And sometimes when you get off in the weeds, it can, it can seem preposterous or surreal. But I suggest you, um, high school kids sitting on a bench, and they're talking, right? And uh, and if you could time travel the conversation in some mysterious way back to the um, 1600s, and they're saying, well, uh, I've got my phone, I'm talking to my mom, and I'm texting my dad and sending a picture of me to my aunt on the other side of the planet, and I'm using TikTok and YouTube, it would sound like a bunch of gibberish because we have no context to put it in. And so to bring such a diverse context, I I think humanity is really going to have to calibrate its BS detector in the sense that um, there, there's going to be all kinds of... Uh, People that want to fill the void, we've talked about the void on the show before. 2019, we had a normal. We had a very established normal. Everybody had their own normal life. I go, I play tennis on Monday nights. I do this, I do that. And life was normal. And then bada boom, bada bing, normal's gone. And we haven't installed a new normal yet. And normals, whatever becomes normal, can be a multi-trillion dollar um, variable. So many, many people are going to want to fill the void of normal with their Kool-Aid. And so to be able to discern, sometimes it's good for us to push ourselves out into the weeds and kind of swim in ponds we might not normally choose so we can discern our BS detectors. And as, as the dynamics of our narrative keeps changing and more and more people try to fill the void of the missing normal with their Kool-Aid, it's gonna serve us very well to be able to discern that. You know, while, uh, while Nick was talking, I, I remembered uh, something that happened one afternoon and and it kind of fits the context of time travel. I'm going to share it. So I dropped my kids off at, at a function and they wanted me to pick them up in an hour and I was wiped out. I was so tired. So I, I drove home. I set the alarm on my phone for, for 45 minutes and I fell asleep. Not a big deal, right? That happens all the time. And the alarm went off 45 minutes later and I woke up. <laughs> and I tell you what, I was so disoriented. I had no clue if I had kids or not. I decided I had kids and I tried to remember their names and the first two names I came up with were wrong. I couldn't even remember the life that I was living 40 minutes ago. And it took me a while to reorient. I was very, very, uh, I don't know, detached or whatever. I had to recon reconstruct my life and remember 
where I dropped my kids off, it was a bit of a, a mind melt. And uh, just talking about it tonight, I mean, maybe maybe in my sleep I had traveled somewhere else. Well, now Cleopatra, I don't I don't want this to slip by without uh, filling in the blanks. So at the beginning of the show, I asked you about Cleopatra. Is she is your memory of her in history good or bad? Um, so imagine this. Um, Cleopatra was the queen of Egypt, and I don't remember that she had a king at the time, but she was the ruler of Egypt. And then the ruler of Rome, um, she wraps herself up in a in a rug and has herself delivered at the at the feet of the uh, Roman ruler and she seduces him and hands him Egypt and and goes to Rome with the the ruler of Rome so now please throw all this out the door if I'm wrong because sometimes I get off in left field but wouldn't that be equivalent if if we had kings and queens now that would be like Jill Biden Jill Biden delivering herself to Putman and handing over the title of the United States because didn't she pretty much hand Egypt to Rome now, I could be so full of it. I could be so off in left field, but I'm not, that doesn't bother me so much. I just like to think about the mechanics of things. So who would you want to show up? Going back to that question, who do you think would be a powerful person to show up in our timeline that came back in time? And... Maybe it's uh, Gandhi or somebody who had uh, the ability to envision a better world. Or maybe it's a a religious leader. Or The the reason I ask these kind of questions is there's so much turmoil in our life right now. What do we want the outcome to be? What do we want our future to be? What will that look like? I promise you, if we can't think of it, the likelihood of us having it will be zero to none. (laughs) We are the creators of our future through our choices and actions. So to get really focused and clear and intentional about that is always a powerful thing to do. Hey, we've just got a few minutes left. Uh, If... If you're looking for a spiritual coach, I'm offering spiritual coaching sessions. You, I can spend an hour with you, and we can go over your spiritual disposition in any way or form that you choose. You can go to newhumanliving.com or lesjensen.com. And I'm actually going to be out in public. If you want to bring your book by on June 4th this summer, I'm going to be signing books just outside of Denver, June 4th. So, wow, wow, wow. I've really enjoyed this episode, time travel, the pliability of reality. (laughs) And Nick was such a great guest. And I I love how thorough he was with his book, willing to look under every rock and and. from every perspective to better understand the nature of time. Well, I want to thank you, the listener. You showed up for yourself. Here you are. Bravo. Kudos to you. Every time you spend time to, to stretch your view of reality, it changes the rest of your life. I'm your host, Les Jensen. Always a pleasure. Until next time, thanks for listening. This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast. To bring your soul's inspiration into effect and live your life wide open. Check out our host, Les Jensen's book, 
Citizen King, The New Age of Power at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening.